What is up, BA family? Welcome to the third episode of Breathing Air Podcast. I'm your host, Mason Bendigo, and I'm so happy to have y'all. Y'all are in for a big treat today. Let me tell you, our guest today has been all over the U.S. and all over the world, for that matter. Spent time in China, spent time at the University of Colorado. He spent time in Africa, where he was involved in a coffee project. This guy is very well-spoken, very smart, goes by the name of Jonathan King, and I think that he will help a lot of people, not only in the way that he articulates his perspective about how being overseas shaped the way that he thinks today, but also with investing in the stock market. He spent some time working and trading stocks And I think it's going to help a lot of people. So I'm excited for y'all to listen and hear your feedback. Go ahead and like, subscribe, comment, all that good stuff to keep us rolling. And I hope y'all enjoy the show. Without further ado, here we go. What is up, BA family? Welcome to the Breathing Air Podcast, where everyday action meets extraordinary mindset. I'm here with the jack of all trades today. He studied political science and Chinese at the University of Colorado, moved to Hong Kong in 2011 where he studied international relations and Chinese, and he spent time in Africa with West Rock Coffee Company and five years with an investment firm, and he has his own blog called The J. King Thing. So what is up, brother? Welcome to the show. Ni hao ma. (laughs) Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. So what what did what did you just say? <laughs> oh, I said uh, I said hi. If it was a direct translation, it would say "you good?" question mark You good? question but mark it's Chinese for hello. Right. So my sister, she recently is in South Korea. She moved there. I would say maybe I think it's about six months ago from now, and they're under quarantine right now. So that's wow. That's, kind that's of very crazy. brave of her. Yeah, it's been it's been kind of crazy. They she's teaching English over there and they got quarantined for what she thought was going to be a week and then and now it's turned into 2 weeks. And what made me think of that was how you said your translation. So for Christmas, she actually flew back to Connecticut and I flew to Connecticut to see my parents that live there now and she got me this scroll that had the dragon and the lion for South Korea that has like the power on land and then the power on earth or earth, excuse me, power on earth. And then the power of the sky, like kind of your spiritual side. And it had like a direct translation in South Korea that said from Maddie to Mason. It was pretty cool. Like writing on. That's awesome. That's very thoughtful of her. No, hopefully she's all right. The coronavirus is real. Yeah, it is real, but I mean, give me your take on that. I know I see you uh, tweeting on social media about it a lot. Like, <laughs> Big tweeter. 
one of the best tweeters around actually <laughs> but the the coronavirus yeah so people they say it's not a big deal i get that it's not a big deal yet but what makes something like this important is the unknown so you mentioned i spent five years working for an investment firm this podcast i don't think is a registered investment advisor and i do not give any investment advice but um it certainly seems like when it comes to managing risk in this case the outbreak of a disease we haven't had ever um the risk is the unknown so it's a new strain something we haven't seen before so um we're trying to keep up with it but it could really turn into anything right and i've seen so many different opinions on it as far as you know comparing it to the flu or I even made the comparison like you could die, you better chance dying in traffic, right? So I don't know how crazy it is. I haven't done a whole lot of research on it, so I'm not going to sit here and act Yeah, like don't I listen know. to my take on the coronavirus. <laughs> yeah. That's my only advice. But the whole flu thing, you know, it's like the flu's been around for quite a while. This is a strain of a new kind of disease that we haven't heard of before. So give or take a few hey, years it's definitely impacting business um i mean you've seen it on the news but there the james bond movie has been delayed uh you know I, the company i'm working for right now we were attending conferences in vegas over the coming months um, those conferences have been canceled i know people that have had personal travel plans rearranged um, like you said your sister's in quarantine so um, whether or not you know this ends up being a thing or if it's as bad or not as bad as the flu, it is currently having real-world impacts on business, investments. Um, I think you suggested, you know, you think that now's a good time. Stocks are down to, to buy some stocks. So it's having real-world impacts. Yeah, absolutely. So you just mentioned something that I think is interesting. Obviously, um, you can walk on eggshells a little bit as far as your uh, stock management advice here. But <laughs> just overall consensus, like, tell me... For someone, you know, who's 24, 23, or someone who's 30 and doesn't really know much about investing because it's not really common knowledge, you know, um, right. unless you're really seeking that knowledge. I mean, a lot of people don't really know about that kind of avenue of investment. So with you having the um, expertise that you do, what is your advice for someone who's young, doesn't really know too much, wants to maybe start investing in the market, but doesn't know how? Sure. So there, there are kind of two big things that I think are important when talking about investing at, at a young age. One of them that you have to understand is what a government bond is, because it needs to be your benchmark or like your comparison for anything that you invest in. A government bond is the government saying, hey, we've got all these projects that we're funding and we are asking you, the people, for money to borrow to do that. So if you believe that the United States government will pay you back, that the United States government will remain solvent, able to pay back their debts, then it's basically the safest investment that you can ever imagine. Uh, therefore, it has like the lowest reward attached to it. So, you know, you can loan the government $100. Well, in 10 years, they're going to 100% almost give you back $100 and maybe like one or two extra dollars, you know. So you're not going to make the returns that you might make in, a, in investing in a, a company stock, but you can guarantee that that money most likely going to be worth more than it is today and that the government will be able to pay you back. So whenever you're thinking about making an investment, think first, what if I, instead of this investment, invested in a government bond? Um, and that's kind of your basis for 
you know, the reward that you should seek based on how risky something else is. Um, now, that being said, at the age of 23, 24, even the age of 30, um, look at your parents, look at your grandparents, go back to being their age. Let's imagine um, the years 1950 and my grandpa's like on a Navy shipyard building whatever in Brooklyn. Very much uh, thank you to the service of our veterans. Um, if he would have invested in just about any company back then that exists today, it would have increased in value at this point at an exponential rate. Uh, same thing for your parents. If your parents would have invested in anything from you know Walmart to a bank, unless that bank or Walmart goes out of business, there's a pretty good chance that that is going to be worth a lot more money um, when you're a lot older. Now, do I think people should be trading in and out of companies using Robinhood, you know, app because it's easy to use when they don't know what they're doing? Absolutely not. Um, if you don't have time to be looking into what companies are doing on a day-to-day basis, I definitely encourage you to maybe use paper money first or, or, uh, not trade your real money because, uh, there's a lot of smart money that's being put to use there and it's a lot bigger and more powerful than we, the people. So, right. Absolutely. And I'm, I remember that there was a, I think it was a financial class of some sort that I took in college. Probably one of the most relevant things that I learned per se in, in the whole five-year college scheme, that's a whole different topic, but it was basically, like you said, fake money where you could put in, it was a project you had, I don't know, I want to say a hundred thousand dollars to invest in X amount of stocks the winner at the end of the semester, whoever had the highest return got like a bonus on their points or whatever. So, I mean, I just remember seeing that not doing very well at it either and thinking, man, what if I actually did put all of my money in this and then just saw it, you know, well, I'll tell you this, man, if you put a hundred thousand dollars in a paper account and you trade it and then you fast forward to, you know, today and you put a hundred thousand real dollars into an account, you would trade it completely differently. Um, Mike Tyson, that quote, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. You don't really get punched in the mouth when you're losing fake money. Like You get punched in the mouth when you're losing real money. And I know you and my brother touched on it, but um, I did. I walked into you know, the hedge fund I was working for, and, and it was literally the first 24 hours that I was employed by them. It was an internship. I was making $10 an hour. And, um, I said, how do I trade? Like, what's the best way to, to learn how to trade? And CEO turns around and looks at me and he says, lose your own money. And so, you know, I put, uh, $3,000 into, a like a risky trading account and I didn't mean to, but you know, I went up a little bit and then over the next three to six months, I, I blew it. And then I put another like two or three grand in, you know, when I saved it up. And over the next three to six months, I, I blew it again. And then I put another three grand in. And this time I ended up making, you know, more than what I had lost the previous three combined. And I brought that to my boss, my employer, when I was working on other stuff at the time. And I said, look, you know, this is what I've done over the past 16-ish months. And he said, all right, well, I'll give you a shot at trading. So that's how I, I got my kind of my start into hedge fund. He he watched me lose my own money, and I definitely don't encourage going out there and losing your own money. But at the same time, I do. I mean, it's it's uh you know losing losing amount or risk an amount that's manageable for your life that won't have a 
an impact and won't make you steal or do whatever, you know, you have to do to feed your family. Right. And I think at this age that I'm kind of targeting this talk to, I mean, whether even if you're 30 and you're single or, you know, obviously when you're married and have kids, you have other responsibilities. But if you're a single cat, guy, girl, whatever, at, you know, 25, 26, whatever, 30 years old, it's this is the time to take a little bit of risks with those things. And we kind of touched on this, but it's better to take a loss now, a smaller loss when it's smaller capital, because obviously you're going to start your investment journey with smaller amounts of money. Um, it's better to take a loss now and learn that lesson like you did with, you know, three grand or whatever, than when you actually are, have some capital six. to six, then when you actually have some capital to lose and you know, you're learning those lessons a lot more harshly. Yeah. And it, it's not easy, you know, but, um, it definitely puts some, some hair on your chest and that's for girls and boys alike. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, there's nothing like, you know, feeling that, that anxiety, um, and, and frankly, we can't make rational decisions whenever we're emotionally involved. So one of the things that we have to, had to do when we were trading was, you know, before you enter the trade, for example, or before you buy a company, even if you're just investing in it, let's say you're going to put a thousand dollars into something. Well, unless, you know, a company comes out with like accounting fraud or something, your thousand dollars is not going to disappear in one day. You know, if the stock ticks up and down, it's pretty, pretty calm. Um, unless you're a Bitcoin guy or something like that. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, $1,000, you need to know before the day-to-day -day movements of that company, that stock or whatever that investment is, whether it's a stock or a house or, or, or something completely different, you have to know, you have to go into it with a plan. You know, on the upside, if it reaches this target, I'm satisfied with that and I'll take my profits and I'll walk away. And on the downside, you know, if this $1,000... If it goes down to $700, you know what? I don't think I can stand more than a 30% loss because then it requires an, another exponential gain to just get my money back and then make money on top, you know? So when I go into every investment, I have a target range on both sides, the upside and the downside, like my pain place. And if it goes to my pain place, you cut your losses and you live to tell another day. Right. I, I mean, at the end of the day, I feel like the market is calculated gambling. Absolutely. It is. Yeah. And it's, it's calculated gambling to the fact that, you know, just like in poker or blackjack or whatever you like to play, there's odds. There's things that go into it. You could, you know, watch a guy bluff across the table. You could see trends. This guy's been bluffing a lot, or this guy makes a twitch whenever he's uncomfortable with his hand. It's the same thing with business and the market. I feel like as far as, you know, you can see trends in a company you could be passionate about something where this company is being innovative in a certain way that, you know, you think that it would benefit you in the long run to, you know, put, put money into it. Yeah. But you a tattoo. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I got this. <laughs> yeah. John just gave me the look across. He kind of threw me off. He's like, what is this? He's pointing to the tattoo. I just uh, got a tattoo that says iron and then it has two hammers uh, in the middle. And then it says iron. So what it's not, it, it's not communist. Yeah. It's not communist, not the two communist hammers. I promise. I love America. But, um, what that means to me is iron sharpens iron. So it's a verse in Proverbs that says is iron sharpens iron. One man sharpens another and kind of a quick backstory on it. I was, 
I was thinking a lot once this year started, you know, what is, what's my purpose? Like what makes me happy? And it all kind of came around to relationships and helping people, you know, whether or not that's helping people with something that they don't know about, or that's just being a good friend to somebody, you know? And so that honestly was part of how this podcast birthed. I felt like I could help people, not by my expertise, but by smart people like Jonathan and other people that I have on that, you know, can shed light on some stuff. So that really was part of the whole 2020 stop talking, start doing. And I kind of went on a little spiel there, but yeah, that's, that's, what's that's what it's about, man. Year's still early too. So if you're thinking about it, get on it. Yeah, absolutely. Just, just get on it. Don't, don't make excuses. Yeah, I'm proud of you for doing this. You know, we've been, we've been talking about getting ourselves out there a little bit. And, um, one thing, man, last year, January 2019, this this is March of 20, of course, January 2019, I told myself, all right, this is it. This year, I'm going to have a side gig. I want some uh, passive income, whether it's a house or advertising money on a podcast or a blog. I don't even know what it is. But, you know, it's interesting because of the different ways that men and women tend to use social media. And, and a lot of times, like, I don't, I don't mean to put people in gender buckets, um, but actually, I don't care. Um, it seems like a lot of times women are so much better at, like, selling, not themselves, but, like, whatever their product is or their brand is on social media than guys. Like, you know, a lot of my guy friends, they never post. They have social media. If anything, some of them are busy looking at all the girl stuff. Like, they're sliding into DMs and whatnot, you know? But um, it seems like the girls have done a better job in general at, at being producers on the internet instead of consumers in the modern era of, of um, social media type stuff. So, yeah, I, I, I think 2020, we're committed to, to switching that around for ourselves, at least, and, and being producers out there instead of consumers. Yeah, absolutely. That's the whole thing. Producers, not consumers. I feel like sometimes a good analogy to social media would be empty calories. It's like, if you, you know, if you want to lose 10 pounds and you're still going to Chick-fil-A every day and getting spicy chicken sandwiches with a large fry, a Coke and some Chick-fil-A sauce. And you think that that is going to help you reach your goal of losing that 10 pounds then you are mistaken. And I think that's the exact same thing with what you feed your brain. You know, your your brain is a muscle and it constantly wants to be fed and you are feeding it whether you know it or not. So you got to feed it good things. If you're feeding it social media junk all the time and it's not anything that's pouring into your life in a positive way, then that's going to show up in your day-to-day life, whether you know it or not. Agreed. Yeah, so that's just a little challenge to y'all. Like, look at who you follow um, and think, is this something that is moving my life in a positive direction? Oh, uh, it's so true, man. I, I, I unfollowed 100 people the other day, and, and I thought, no shit, I thought about taking my followers to zero. <laughs> I did. I, I came so close, and I decided that uh, it would require a little bit too much more damage control that made the situation kind of ironic you know it would, it would end up using my time anyways but hey some of the most badass guys out there the guys i follow that i look for for some of the inspiration they follow zero people they're laying goose eggs on their followers with with 
10 million followers and shit like that. So, you know, social media, it's not your real life. If I like you, I had a girl in the bar be like, I followed you. You're an asshole. You didn't follow me back. You know, you hear these things every now and then if someone gets drunk enough, she'll, she'll say what she's thinking at the bar like that. She said, you're a real asshole. Uh, you don't follow people back. And I, and you know, most of the time I do, but I'm done. I'm done like with, with polite follows. I'm done with, with the whole taboo social requirements. Like I just met you. So I'm going to lend you my following and let you take up, you know, provide me my social anxiety and flash your highlight reel in front of me. No, I want to, I want to be in control of what I see. I don't want to be in control. Um, I don't want you to be in control of what I see. So change what you see. Right. Exactly. And that's just taking control of your life and what you're consuming every day on a day to day basis. You got to, if you think of it like food and you have a commitment to keeping a healthy body, you know, and that whole, I, I go back to like the 80, 20 rule, like 80% of the time, stay disciplined, eat clean. And then 20% of the time, if it's a weekend, go and, nuts. you know, you want to have a beer or you want to eat that burger that you've been craving all week, then go ahead and reward yourself. And it's a guilt-free thing. You don't have to feel like, Oh no, this is bad. And actually in the grand scheme of things, it's a good thing because when you eat junk food like that and your body's used to eating clean, your metabolism actually cranks up because it's like, oh no, what is this that you're putting in my body that's not what I'm used to? And it actually works faster. So it actually, in a weird way, is good to give yourself those cheat meals because it makes your metabolism work. Absolutely. Which is kind of a crazy thing. You know, the body is, it's a crazy thing. What are you doing for workouts these days? Man, they've, they've changed quite a bit since I stopped playing ball. Um, it was a lot of heavy lifting and throw a bunch of weight on the bar. I changed positions my redshirt junior year in college from quarterback to tight end. So I had to kind of go through a real like physical transformation per se, gain about 15-ish pounds or so, 15, 20 pounds. And it's hard for me to gain weight mm -hmm. as is. So I was just eating everything in sight and uh lifting super heavy and i've had two acl surgeries so that kind of just wasn't sustainable and didn't it wasn't what's best for me now without you know all those collisions and yeah stuff. Of course. so change it up you know i still love to lift it's it's a passion of mine just to exercise i get definitely get a natural high off of it i think yeah. so that's one of my positive addictions <laughs> you know what, hey, what about I mean, you it's man it's good to have those um for for workouts i'm so add with everything in my life that uh you know i switch my workouts from whether it's running up the the little mountain in town the little hill that we call pinnacle here in little rock um a lot of mornings i get up and 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 i may go to to d1 which is a a great local facility that that kind of some more the collegiate athletic players and professional players have sponsored as like a hardcore adult training facility. They do kid stuff too and development stuff. Um, I take what I learned from a training session and I apply it, you know, on my own time because I don't, my schedule is iffy. It changes a lot. So it's hard for me to get into one specific routine. I mean, you mentioned I lived in East Africa for almost two years and I didn't have a gym there. So I couldn't eat properly. Um, I, I ended up importing a pull-up bar to put in my house 
But other than that, you know, you just got to find something to do regardless of your environment to keep you active. And the reason I love the morning workout, man, those guys kick my ass. Like they kick my ass more than I would kick my own ass for the most part. So once you have somebody else like shake you up to start your day before 8 a.m., like you can basically walk out into your day knowing that you've got the hardest part of your day behind you. Like it's not like you have to look for, you know, you work all day. You're kind of tired. You get off work at five o'clock. You want to go to the gym. You have the testosterone of my grandma, like who right. I who I love. She, she's so dear. Shout out grandma. Shout out honey. <laughs> but um, you know, get up in the morning and move some something around. Get your heart beating, and and it'll motivate you. At least it motivates me to carry out the rest of my day with some dignity. Right, and I can say that I did the five a.m. thing for a long time in in school. And when I got out, I thought, man, I'm never doing this again. But I found myself missing it. Because when you start your day like that, it just jump starts you. Like you said, you don't have to think, man, when am I going to go to the gym today? Or nope, it's already done. That way, when you get off, you can relax and you can get other things done that you may need to do. Go to the store, get groceries. And it's not like you're trying to shove so much into that little time frame that you have once you're done with work. Man, it's starting your day with a victory. And it's hard as hell. Like, you open your eyes in the morning, that alarm goes off. For me personally, the last thing I want to do is get out of bed. Mm-hmm. Like, I tend to wait until the last minute that I can get out of bed and not be late to this workout. And sometimes I'm like five minutes late, you know. But that's just embracing that discomfort. Um, if you start your day with something hard, the rest of the day is easy. So it's just that mentality. Right. And you said embracing the discomfort, and that really hits home. And You could even draw this back to what you were saying about the losses that you were taking early on when you were trading because you got to look at losses as something that, you know, help you grow. And same with being uncomfortable, not saying you have to be in pain 24 seven, but being uncomfortable for those amounts of time and learning from the lessons, learning from the losses, right? Learn from the losses. It's not a loss. It's a lesson. Iron strength is iron. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's what that's the way you have to look at it because obviously we're all human. We're all going to make mistakes. And it's just about minimizing them and then learning from them. Word. So tell me a little bit about your relationship with the outdoors because I feel like you have a connection to that. I think we have that in common. We have a lot of things in common, but I think that we definitely have that in common. So what is, I guess I said, what is your relationship with like being outdoors, being in God's green earth? Like what, what is it that that does to you? Um, when I was, when I was, uh, 17, I went off to college. I, I say that cause it's kind of early. I was always young for my class. I went toward a few schools. Um, I went and visited the University of Colorado, where I ultimately ended up going to college. It's the greatest university in the United States of America. Um, and I, it was the first time I ever saw mountains. And if you've ever been to Boulder and you've ever seen the flat irons, it looks like one second the earth was flat and the next second the earth crashed together and created a, a freaking you know, skyscraper range of mountains, which is the Flatirons or the the Rocky Mountains. So, you know, I spent a lot of time in Boulder doing hiking and and 
being uh, on mountains snowboarding and ski resorts and and it's my favorite hobby skiing or snowboarding because you're literally using the earth as a playground so you touched on god's green earth well like my relationship with being outdoors is that it makes me grateful like there is so much even if you don't believe in god which personally like i believe in higher power um but you know there is some and amazing aspect of the intelligent design that has gone into nature whether it's the the symmetry in leaves or if it's like the composition of soil being able to allow us to do the things that we can do with food and production and things like that so whenever i'm outside personally um i i and i try to be outside as much as i can it makes me feel grateful and that's why i'm drawn to the outdoors right i agree i kind of feel a connection on a different level to you know a higher power like you said I personally do believe in the higher power as well and I just feel like you can't be out in that it makes you feel small yeah it's humbling it is and it makes you feel like this world is so big and I am nothing and your ego kind of sheds off and that is a freeing feeling for your ego to just melt away and you're just standing there in awe of something that is so much larger than you. And I think that can go full circle to life too. It's also terrifying. I mean, if you've ever been in a natural disaster type situation. Oh, you're hopeless. I mean, think about Nashville 20. I don't know what that's incredible. I don't know what the death count is. We have tornadoes all the time here in Arkansas and, and you know, it's always tragic when something happens like that, but it's usually not more than, small handful of people that either get injured or or pass away everybody's important but to imagine 20 something people in a tornado is is unbelievable yeah it's super sad i mean 25 i don't i'm sure it's the death toll is probably higher now so uh prayers and thoughts to everyone if you know anyone in nashville or anyone that was affected i mean it's just it's a horrible thing but what what those tragedies i think bring from it is the true character of people you know we are all the same at the end of the day whether you know you are black white latino asian like it doesn't matter where you're from what ethnicity you are what your beliefs are if you're atheist if you believe in god if you're jewish or if you're you know buddhist muslim like it doesn't matter we're all created for a purpose we're all here and i feel like sometimes those natural things those disasters bring out people coming together have you uh have you nailed down your purpose that's something that's always evolving i feel like but i envy the people that have they haven't they're lying (laughs) (laughs) they're lying what what about you have you have you nailed it down no, you know, I'm I'm learning slowly the things that I'm passionate about. I'm passionate about people. I think I'm a very empathetic person. I tend to feel what other people are thinking, or at least I think that I do. Feel what other people are feeling, excuse me. Um, I don't know. I, I wanna, I've, I've been in situations where I've seen people that are hungry. I've seen people that are poor. I've seen people that were wealthy. Um, but what I want to do is inspire people. And if I get a chance to feed people that need food um, or protect somebody that needs to be protected, you know, 
everybody, a lot of people have, have been bullied one way or another in their life. And I'm not even necessarily part of the anti-bullying campaign. I was certainly bullied as a kid. And I think, you know, getting bullied once or twice isn't the worst thing that happens to people. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, anybody that, that if I'm able to ever help myself or sacrifice myself in a way that directly helps somebody else. And I think my job is okay. Absolutely. And that makes you feel fulfilled. Exactly. I saw, I saw, um, on your Facebook, I think it was, you had a little charity going for your birthday, which when's your birthday? It's coming up. Dirty 30, the dirty 30, May 7th, May 7th. Yeah. Real Taurus, big Taurus, Taurus. Okay. (laughs) So tell me about a Taurus though. First, before I ask you the other question, I'm a very type A, type one person, deliberate, uh, I don't know, thoughtful. I can give you a bunch of funny memes after the show that'll show you what a Taurus is, but right. not a huge astrology guy. Just, just think it's funny for the most part. It is. There's, it's, I'd say it's accurate to an extent, but obviously it's not all accurate. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's different. You May 7th, coming yeah. up. So tell me a little bit about the charity that you were wanting to you know, have people donate to my gosh. So lucky. I'm so, it was so awesome. Um, I'm so fortunate because I did, I, I see those Facebook fundraisers and I'm like, Oh, what the hell? I'll try one. I'm not a big like self birthday person, even though I'm like May 7th, May 7th. <laughs> um, so I'm like, yeah, you know, there's a, a charity that when I was living in Tanzania, I, I ran into, um, and they inspired me and I wanted to be a part of it forever and so it's that's one thing that since I left the country back in 2013 I've I've you know done my monthly contributions to this charity it's called the olive branch for children go check it out I highly encourage you to do that the olive branch for children it's located in southern Tanzania and when I was there uh, these people just brought me in they they in my free time some of the time I went and spent with the kids who are working on schoolwork or, or dance or it's an orphanage and uh it really just was one of those humbling moments that or humbling the you know projects that that when i was in east africa like changed my personality completely but um you asked about my birthday thing and um so in addition to my monthly you know contributions to them um on my birthday i did a little facebook charity and i had a goal of raising like 200 bucks i mean i don't like asking people for money frankly so Never have, but, um, you know, I was just, there was an outpouring of love and so thankful because I ended up raising over a thousand dollars for my birthday to be able to give them on a one-off and that sponsored several students school supplies for a full year. Um, you know, I, we were able to, like I said, do more than a thousand dollars. So in addition to school supplies, some, um, basic, like basic needs, things that, just have an exponential impact over there. And I'm so thankful to my friends and family who donated to that. And it was so thankfully received by them. I still communicate with them, um, you know, every couple months directly. And I, I look forward to my next time in Tanzania to pop my head in there and, you know, say hello to the kids and people running that place. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you are quite the journeyman, I would say. Um, as I said in the intro, you know, you've been in China, which not a, not a place that a lot of people want to be right now as we've talked about before, but yeah, you've, you've been there and you kind of studied the business side of things, right? Like 
what what did you study there? Um, so funny story about China. Um, I was I was studying political science in at Colorado, and it was my sophomore into my sophomore year, and I'm like, holy shit! I'm halfway through college, and I have no skills. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of, if you're in college right now, you've probably had that thought. Like, I don't even hardly know how to do math. And I'm, I'm at this point, 20 years old or something, 19 years old. So one of my great friends, uh, Graham Keeley, rest in peace to my brother. Um, he was taking Chinese at the time and I thought it was, uh, a great idea. Not only did I look up to him as a person, but I thought it was really smart of him to be taking Chinese. So my junior year starts, um, I enroll in like Chinese one. Um, actually I guess it was before that. It was like halfway through my sophomore year and I took start, you know, I took two and a half years of Chinese at Mandarin Chinese at Colorado. I had a great Taiwanese native speaker. Um, she was inspirational and had the Asian tiger aspect of teaching, dude. I mean, I went from being a poli sci student with like all this free time and and kicking it during the week and snowboarding all the time to having a 45 minute or 50 minute Chinese class every single day of the week that was like the teacher, bro, was a strict Asian tiger mom. Like she required homework done every day or she was like, you're not into this, like you're out of the class. So she kicked my ass and I loved it for, I loved her for it. Um, and then I, I get to, Actually, if I can take a little side story. Absolutely. I went to apply to this program to study in Hong Kong because, you know, my buddies and the girls are going to Barcelona and Ibiza to study abroad. And, and I'm like, well, damn, I just studied Chinese for two years. Like, what? I can't go to Spain. <laughs> <laughs> and so I go to apply to this study abroad program in, in Hong Kong and then Shanghai as a backup. And I get rejected. And they told me that because I was on like academic probation or something that I was like a high risk candidate and they basically just didn't see the need to take me on as a liability. And so um, the story of that is I go to college my freshman year. Um, I actually got expelled from high school. So there's kind of a backstory, but I, I miraculously make it to the University of Colorado Um and my freshman year, I'm like, oh, this is pretty easy. I can do this. I make a 3.5 3 GPA my freshman first semester. My second semester, I threw all caution to the wind. I was doing the whole fraternity thing, being an idiot. I got a 0 0.7. I got two Fs, a C, and a W. And um, if you add a 3.5 and a 0 0.7 and you divide it by two semesters, um, I and I don't think it was high enough to keep me eligible for to be enrolled in the big boy school. So I was immediately suspended academically. And, you know, I, I my parents called me and they said, A, you're a fucking idiot. B, you know, now's the time for you to make a decision. And again, I was 17 years old. So I was I wasn't quite I was immature. They said, it's time for you to make a decision. Do you want to come home? And, and live in Little Rock with your parents and go to college? Or, you know, are you going to be, be a man? And they didn't mean be a man, but take responsibility for, you know, what's in front of you. And that was definitely a, a moment where iron sharpened iron. And uh, it was a moment that 
you know, fortunately, right before I hit a rock bottom, I was able to pick myself up. And I wasn't being so such an idiot. I wasn't hurting myself or others or anything like that. But I was not taking, I was not uh, grateful for the opportunity that was in front of me. I was immature. And so eventually, you know, I worked my way, my grades back up. Everything from there was an up, upward, uh, upward hill, upward slant. But all that they saw was the data. All they saw was that I had, you know, the poor grades, like the average. So I ended up saying, fuck this. I'm, I, I can show you the letter. I still have the letter. It's Dear Jonathan King, we regret to inform you. You know, I've been waiting for that letter in the mail. You apply to something, you wait for a letter in the mail. It's in the movie. You know, you just sit there and you look at the guy's face and, you know, you wait. The anticipation. Did I get in? Did I get in? Well, no, Jonathan King, we regret to inform you. You know, you didn't get in for some old shit that you did. And uh, I was hurt. Like, I had put myself into it. So, um, you know, instead of taking that letter and being butthurt about it, I got on the, I immediately picked up the phone and I called the number on the letter. And I said, ma'am, I understand your decision, but let me explain to you why you're making a mistake. And Within a couple days, they agreed to conditionally accept me if my teachers and all of my classes were willing to communicate with them and update them like mid-course, tell them that I was had my shit together. Dude, this is college. Teachers don't care about that stuff. Like, there's 400-person chemistry classes, like, you know, in an auditorium. They're not going to take the extra time out of their day. So that required me for the first time ever having to sit through all those teaching hours, those TA hours, and become buddy-buddy with these professors and build real relationships with these teachers. And it was the best thing in college that happened to me because I was finally halfway through college, and I, I go, oh, shit, like this is what learning is. Like this is what college is, you know. Suddenly I'm actually retaining information, and it, it just changed the way that, uh, that I went about my education. It also inspired me and gave me a reason, gave me a challenge, a chip on my shoulder to work towards. So, you know, I, I am kind of an extrinsically motivated person. I get motivated by somebody telling me I can't do something. Um, I mean, I have my own ambitious tendencies, but I love the challenge of, of telling me that something's impossible or the answer is no. So embrace the discomfort. You know, that's what it's all about. And what's funny is I did spend that six months, that semester in Hong Kong, um, and the, the, the one kind of funny part about that was they speak Cantonese in Hong Kong. So I show up and, and I've been, I've learned the wrong, I've learned the wrong dialect. I should have gone to Barcelona. I should have gone to Barcelona. I should have gone to be the, um, but you know, six months in Hong Kong, one of the, the most incredible experience in my life at that time by hands down and it's forever. will have a, a place in my heart, the city and the country of Hong Kong. But, um, you know, afterwards they end up writing me a letter personally, like you were such a great ambassador for this university. And we're so glad that we made the decision to, to, you know, change our mind about you. And I'm thinking you're damn right. So Colorado sent you that letter or was it the, so it was Colorado. Yes. Okay. Dude, that's, that's incredible. Like I, we've always had some deep talks, but man, that is, that is so awesome. So tell me. Tell me, like, I heard you mention you got expelled from high school. I don't know if you really want to dive in. I don't know if I'm putting you on the spot. Yeah, here, I'm but not going to incriminate myself too much. Yeah. But I will say that I was not a 
Um, I was not, I was a minor. Right. I was a minor at the time. So yeah. I didn't do anything violent or sexual. Right, right. No, absolutely. I wasn't <laughs> insinuating know? along those lines. <laughs> no, I'm just saying. I just think but, it's so cool how. Man, it's true. I, I, you know, and I'm not like a, I was never a, a bad person. I was no, never getting into like not. real bad trouble, but, uh, I'm sure, I'm sure terrible people say the same thing actually, but, right. <laughs> but you know, um, I basically was skipping class and smoking pot and doing all the things that, that are, you know, not great to do when you have a developing brain and are, those rules are in place for, for a pretty good reason at that age. But you know, I just was bulletproof and, um, I don't regret all of it. Like I don't, I don't have regrets in that sense. I mean, it was a, a lesson that I learned about, you know, taking care of what I needed to take care of. But at the same time, um, I kind of always felt like I, I knew I was going to be okay. And, and that's stupid in hindsight because I was doing stupid stuff, but yeah, they, they kicked me out of central high school, which is really hard to do. I mean, I, I was going to school with dudes that were bringing guns to school. I mean, guys would get right. in my car after school just because we were cool and we had gym class together. And he's like, hey, man, will you take me up the block and drop me off at my grandma's house? I'm like, of course I will. No problem. And he gets in, like, his shorts hit the floor of my car because it's got a 10-pound 9-millimeter in it. But I got I got expelled for, you know, skipping class a few times, right. disrupting uh, classrooms, just being – not paying attention to rule, not, not caring for authority. And I've always been like that, frankly. I mean, it's a problem of mine. My parents, my parents have gotten on to me about it. I've got family that's, you know, works for uh, police or, or law enforcement. And it's always kind of been a challenge because, uh, I, I do like to think that I, we live in a world where, you know, we hold each other accountable as men and women. And I don't like bureaucratic anything, although I definitely appreciate and understand the need for like a justice system and judicial officers and things like that. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I can vouch for Jonathan. I mean, anyone that really knows him knows that he is a good man, good heart. And like people, people learn differently. People have different walks in life. And sometimes it's those stories that make us who we are. Absolutely. So to say that you would regret something that happened in your past, I think that's you can regret decisions that you make, but it helps you become the person that you were meant to be eventually. And I think you're just, you know, like you said, upward trend towards that person. And you're the thing with you that I really look up to, you know, and that I try and do in my life intentionally every day is just always be in search of knowledge. You know, you always want to seek out people and things that are like-minded or maybe that think differently than you and can give you a different viewpoint. And I think you do that very well. And so just a little bit more on your travel. So you went through that crazy story that you just told about, um, you know, college and on to China. And then you end up in Africa. Obviously, we know you have a passion for that. So tell me a little bit about what you did in Africa and how that ties in with West Rock Coffee. And sure. Just give so, me a little bit of that. Um, man, first of all, I appreciate that high praise. And, yeah. and I... Uh, you know, I admire you as well and what you're doing here and just putting yourself out there, but also encourage everybody to seek knowledge every day. Yeah. It's another easy, low-hanging fruit way to remind ourselves of how much we don't know. And, you know, when you Ooh. remind yourself what you don't know, you're suddenly humbled and it's kind of like being out in nature. The low-hanging fruit. I never I never think of the low-hanging fruit the as, low. <laughs> a, as a positive thing. It's always like one of those things that you're like, 
Dang. I don't know, man. The low hanging fruit. That's that looks easy. good. Yeah, that's you know, easy. It's like that looks good, but it's heavy. It's hanging right, heavy. Right. It's just ready to be plucked. It's asking to be pulled uh, off of that tree. So I finished uh finished school in Hong Kong, come back and you know, what do you do when you get out of college? Well, unless you're gonna be a doctor, you most of the time have no idea. So I had no idea. And uh, what I was going to do to, you know, fix that was just go back to school. So I was going to go to law school and I didn't want to be a lawyer, but I did, you know, I thought maybe it would help me study contracts for business or something. It was just fear based. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. So I ended up taking the LSAT and I'm in this office building one day and this guy looks over at me and he says, what do you do? And this guy's wearing blue jeans and tucked in shirt, like an Oxford shirt, you know, older, uh, 50, mid 50s, older white gentleman. And uh, I'm like, well, I'm studying for law school. I just uh, literally last week got back from Hong Kong. And he goes, I need a young guy to work for me in Africa. I'm like, what is it? What is this guy talking about? And uh, I said, well, I'm, I'm going to law school, but good luck. And, and he said, well, lawyers work for me. You don't want to be a lawyer. He said, well, why don't you accept, uh, accept this as an extended, you know, accept this as a summer internship. And if you don't like it, you can go on to law school. And if you like it, you can, uh, you know, turn a thing, turn into a thing. So I hate to interrupt, but this was completely random. Completely random. You're in an elevator. It was, yes. yes. Where? In Little Rock, Arkansas. In this, Little Rock, Arkansas. Yeah, he and his wife, he was waiting for his wife to come out of some office, and I was in the same office doing test, you know, prep type stuff, uh, studying for the, the LSAT. It was, I was actually taking it um, like two days from then. And so he said, well, why don't you just come in for lunch and on Monday? And I said, well, I'm taking my test Monday. He said, all right, well, come in Tuesday, smartass. Like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> so we exchanged contact info. I get home and my, my parents are like, hold on, you got, you got whose phone number? I'm like, this guy, you know, I, I don't know, he, this guy. And uh, they're like, well, that guy, you know, he, he was the CEO of this multi-billion dollar company. I was like, what? And they say, yeah, that guy's, you know, he's the man here. And uh, I didn't know that. So you can imagine whenever I met him and I was sitting there speaking to him, he's in blue jeans. I don't know shit about this guy. I treated him accordingly, which is with absolute respect that I would treat with any stranger. And, uh, but at the same time, you know, sense of realness. And, and I think he admired both, not admired. That's high praise of myself, but I right. think he appreciated, uh, both being spoken to like a regular person. I think he's used to people, you know, sucking up to him a lot because of his position of power. Naturally, he controls many people's Christmas gifts to their wives and by, and their husbands, for example. Right. Um, so I end up going into this guy's office and I, I, you know, now I know who he is. And, and I said, Scott, um, you know, I, I've neither of my parents finished college. Um, you're frankly the most successful person I've had the opportunity, opportunity to sit in front of and give this kind of feedback. So if you don't mind, I would love to read you my personal statements to go, you know, to apply to law school. And uh, if you have any feedback or, you know, even, God forbid, if you'd be willing to write me a letter of recommendation, you know, that would be, it would make my, make my year. 
So you're still on the law school yeah. thing, going yeah. into this meeting with him. Yeah. So did it, you meet at his office? Did met you? at his office. Okay. Yeah, met at his office. I was actually, uh, well, that's a different story. So I, we eat lunch at his office. We, he takes me into his office, and, and he's like, sure, read me your letter. So I read him my letter of rec, uh, my, my, excuse me, my personal statement in my college admission application for law school. He, he listens to it, you know, it's like a three minute read and he sits there for a second. He just thinks, thinks, doesn't say anything. First words that come out of his mouth. What do you know about the genocide in Rwanda in 1994? And I'm thinking, well, I didn't say anything about that. But, um, and then I say out loud, I'm a, I'm a political science major in college, but I'm ashamed to say that I know nothing about the Rwandan genocide in 1994. He goes on to tell me about a 30 to 45 minute story that doesn't, by the way, mention my law school personal <laughs> statement whatsoever about how in 1994, you know, um, a million people out of uh, 7 million people person population were killed because of a civil war over um you know whose faces were shaped differently and who who's who was taller and who was shorter literally tribal bullshit that unfortunately still happens in a lot of the world and is cultural so it's kind of sensitive to talk about but whatever he goes on to tell me how he's launched a development focused for-profit coffee exporting business that aims at paying farmers fair wages enabling them to get access to fair money. So instead of taking out loans for fertilizers and farm inputs at, at 20% interest rates, you know, Westrock, this company is able to provide them uh, loans at, at local rates. Now, they're doing that. They're risking their own backs, you know, but, but basically uh, made me realize that the guy that was, I was talking to was a good man that he was highly capitalized and that he was willing to teach me something. And so the combination of those three things, I ended up, of course, you know, he's, he tells me the story and then he says, so do you want to come to Rwanda with us next month? You know, you can come with me, we'll get you your shots and you can see how the business works and, and maybe, you know, end up working there if it's something you like. And so I went with him. I, I got my shots before, um, that was in like March of 2012 and by that July, I had moved to Mbeya, Tanzania, which, you know, if you're looking, if you're looking at Africa and you're, you're, you know, trying to analyze where Tanzania would be and you're thinking about America, it's like North Carolina on Africa. So it's on the far east coast of Africa. And then if you want to think about where I lived, if Tanzania is the United States, I lived in like Los Angeles. So I lived in this, the southwest city of Tanzania on the east coast of Africa um, very underdeveloped area coffee is the largest export of the area it's like coffee and oil hundreds of thousands of coffee farmers um, the city I lived in 200,000 people mostly farmers we probably had the only Wi-Fi in the whole city like in a house uh, when I showed up we didn't have a house we didn't have a car we didn't have a translator we had been doing business in Rwanda but my the thing Scott wanted from me was to go to Tanzania and start what they had already done in Rwanda from scratch. So, I mean, when I tell you that I flew into this town on a 13-passenger Cessna plane 
being flown by some Ethiopian Airlines pilot. No offense to Ethiopian Airlines. It's Africa's best airline, apparently. But um, And, you know, there were women and children walking on the field below with carrying fruit baskets on their heads, scattering because we were about to land the airplane on a dirt field. Like, that was my first day in Africa. I get into a taxi. I go to a hotel. I meet my colleague. We rent a truck, and we start driving around looking for mattresses and cell phones. So Goodness. <laughs> talk about a culture shock. It was a culture shock, man. I remember thinking to myself, all right, like, don't drink the water. And, and then walking past, you know, the restaurants and, like, all the foods being washed in the water and the plates and the dishes are being washed in the water. And I'm like, shit, there's... I'm going to have to drink the water. I'm going to have to drink the water. So, man, it was, uh, you know, that's an experience that was so hard. And I absolutely would not take it back or trade it for anything. It changed my personality. It was so humbling. Um, it made me want to find my purpose and make sure that I give back to the world for the rest of my life. That's, that's incredible. And so this happened in how long of a span from you meeting him to you pulling up people scattering in Africa. Sure. So I met him in February of 2012. And, uh, when I went to lunch at his place, uh, his office that he mostly worked out of like in his own private investment firm where he was managing some of his other money. But, you know, they ended up putting between, you know, his he and his his father ended up putting about one hundred million dollars of personal money into this African project. And not a penny has come back to America from that. They're consistently reinvesting in Rwanda and other office origins that they have in East Africa. And it's just the most inspirational business that I could ever imagine. And and I think that they might change uh, the way that, you know, a lot of our food and drinks and beverages and or commodities that we consume are traced. And if we, if they do, then it will be uh, for the benefit of everybody all the way down to the farmer. And it'll lead to transparency all the way up the supply chain. I forgot what you asked, but it's a passion project of mine. So, you know, excuse me. <laughs> no, that's so awesome. And you can tell that when you're passionate about something, it changes your whole perspective. And I heard this quote the other day. I'm not going to take, uh, you know, full claim to it, but perspective drives performance. Absolutely. And that can go to, you know, your perspective as, Hey, this is a passion of mine and this really drives me. And this is something that I'm super inspired by. And that means that every day we talked about waking up, you know, you're going to wake up juiced because you know that what make you're doing. Your bed. Yeah. Uh, make your make bed. Your bed. Yep. So you know what you're doing is, you know, it's your purpose. It's a passion. It's something that, you know, you look forward to because you know that you're making an impact or whatever that may be that's, you know, unique to that person. But, man, dude, I just, that's that's incredible. So what was your day-to-day like once you sure. got to Africa, you kind of yep. got situated? So you the know? guy that I was working, I was there with one other American. Um, he had been living in Rwanda for the past five years. So this guy was kind of, I mean, 32-year-old, good-looking, like, southern white male that had been living in in Rwanda for the last five years was my, like, what they call counterpart. You know, he was my other other half to start this business in Tanzania. He did a lot of the administrative work, going to the local government offices, getting the business established from a structural perspective. My day-to-day, meanwhile, 
was to drive anywhere from 30 minutes to two and a half hours every single day from the office out to the villages, you know, initially to meet farmer groups, what it was called cooperatives. So a group of anywhere from 10 to, to 300 farmers that come together collectively to increase their negotiating power when they sell. So instead of me being able to walk up to one farmer and go, hey man, I'll give you a dollar a pound for your coffee, you know, if suddenly he combines his, his coffee with his neighbor's coffee and his neighbor's coffee, then it's like, well, no, you can talk to all of us and you can pay us like the, the real best price that you can because we're a collective and, you know, it, it's kind of a unionized form of doing it, but it works for them. I mean, mostly socialist countries, but nonetheless, uh, my job was to go and, and meet farmer groups and, and convince them that we were a good partner. Now, where my mistake was, it wasn't a mistake, but it was a misperception of mine. They asked me, yeah, go for six months and get this business set up. Well, we thought we were going to be able to do in Tanzania what they had made successful in Rwanda. So there was a whole lesson about, whoa, just because these countries are side by side in Africa, they're completely different culturally. Now that we're in Tanzania, these people actually wanted me to sit down before we ever talked business, you know, talk about life. And we're using a translator. And I'm like, hey, we can pay the best price for your coffee. We're going to, you know, fund your inputs and your fertilizers and give you all this stuff like thinking it was a no brainer that they would want to work with us. Well, they've been wronged by the white man, quote unquote, in the past. So they were much less receptive to me initially as to what I thought that they would be just knowing that we had kind of a best business practice to bring to them. Um, so it took me a full year and a half to build those relationships with probably about, I mean, uh, I don't know, probably what represented close to 50,000 farmers or more um, before we started purchasing coffee from them. And, you know, one of the, the stories there, uh, there was a Peace Corps president, uh, a presence in Tanzania. And so there were probably about 15 expatriates that lived in the country, the city that I was in. Expatriate is somebody that is currently living abroad. So wh when I say there were about 15 expatriates in my city, I mean, there were 15 people that were foreigners, like me, that whether they were from America, Canada, Switzerland, Germany, they were from all over, doctors, gold miners, whatever, but 15 of us. One of them was a Peace Corps volunteer. Shout out to Brandon Dornier. He was stationed in a village that had a very high HIV AIDS percentage rate. It was over 20%. So more than one wow. in every five person had HIV. That's incredible. And uh, this guy lived there making like 50 cents a day, you know, to do so and just learning about the culture and being basically an ambassador for the United States. He introduced his village's coffee chairman and cooperative to us after we met him personally. And they ended up being the first farmer group that we were able to work with. So it was a true American business and American NGO, non-governmental organization coming together to create commerce in East Africa that, I mean, gosh, I can't imagine. I mean, that does not happen every day. But, you know, we go to this farmer group and I'm about to meet 100 farmers that have AIDS. And I walk up and I can just see it in slow motion, man. This guy, this this farmer chairman sticks his hand out to me. Meanwhile, his, you know, nothing, I, I don't know what I'm saying here, if it's inappropriate, I don't think so. But had you can tell by his sunken eyes, 
and and his you know his kind of tired look that that he had some sort of medical condition and of course it was AIDS knowing that circumstance but I can see him sticking his hand out in slow motion like having you know going in for the handshake and I was thinking holy shit I didn't think about this but I'm 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 about to shake this guy's hand that has AIDS and, and he's been farming and he's been farming yeah you and so yeah cut easily so you know of course I shake this guy's hand and it, it's mostly a perce- perceptive thing but it was that was another humbling moment where I'm like this this is just a guy this is just a man and I'm so thankful again we were able to work with that farmer group most of whom were HIV positive we were able to not only buy their coffee and and sell it for them but we gave them a higher price than even we paid everybody else because we were able to set, uh, sell it and set some aside to put into their group medicine fund to then go back to their collective village and, and go back to everyone's, you know, medicine costs. So it was a, a true, like, blessing situation where, you know, I'm just glad to, that I can, if I die tomorrow, I'm fine because I've done one thing that might have helped 30 people for a couple days. That's That's incredible, man. It really is. And I mean, what a, what an experience. I mean, what an experience, dude. Like at 29 years old, going through all those early trials that you did and then to be yeah, able to I turned sit 22 there. there. Yeah. So what was the birthday celebration like? Did you guys like, I mean, like, what's the, what's the freaking, scene? Did imagine, you, imagine 12 people in a freaking teepee drinking like oversized warm beers. Warm That's beers. What, is yeah. that what they drink? Warm beers. Well, when the power goes out, you know, it's, it's refrigeration becomes an issue, but right. So <laughs> what was, what was the living conditions like that you had? Obviously, you know, you said you imported a, you know, a pull-up bar. Yeah. Imported a pull-up bar. I was mostly, um, I was, what's it called? Celibate. For like a year and a half goes back to the age thing but yeah, I, I imported the pull-up bar I, I imported one or two women <laughs> no, <laughs> like people i was dating at the time you know i was right. dating at the time um <sighs> living conditions were 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 rough i mean man it was it was beautiful so here i'll talk about the good because i can i can rant and say um, you know, I, I didn't have running water all the time or electricity all the time. That's true. But what was amazing was that in my yard, I had a banana tree, an avocado tree, a mango tree, like a spinach farm, an avocado tree, bro. That's they charge extra for that's guac, like and I got an avocado tree that in is my yard. Like a white girl's dream. <laughs> it is a white girl's dream. Yeah. So oh, I can I just have be an avocado tree in exactly, my backyard. Exactly. Exactly. Um, man, it was uh, like such an incredible thing to see people living off the land. You know, we as Americans, we we consume, we consume. We talked about consumption versus production earlier, but the people over there, they they produce and then they consume their own. So we want to say, yeah, Tanzania is poor. Well, if everybody has a fucking avocado, mango, banana tree in their front yard, how poor can you really be? They're not hungry. They're not as hungry as we make them out to be. There's tragedy. Of course, there's poverty. But it's not what we think it is over here. How did that make you... Obviously, that has to change someone's perspective. I don't know anyone that could go through that. You said 22 years old, Mm -hmm. you know. And you, it seems like you started everything a little early, you know, college at 17, mm-hmm. that's early, 22 years old, you're traveling. I mean, 
seeing a totally different culture, totally right. different experiences, you know, living off of the land, seeing how, I mean, a third world country really is, is living. I mean, what does that feel like? And how, how did some of those things that you learned there translate whenever you eventually came back? Well, there, there's three things that come to mind. One, you know, it was just shockingly, again, I use the word humbling, but seeing people being happy with their, the most basic of needs and not all the Jordans. I'm sitting here in Jordans right now. Right. This dude's rocking the fresh Jordans, all black. What are those though? Um, they're a form of the Jordan ones. Definitely. The ones. Yeah. But not the originals, yeah, they're but they're, they're nice. I, like I actually, I actually ordered some, some Jordans today. Did you? So I say like, I still, you What'd know, you get? I have my bad habits. They're, they're special. I'll show them to you. Are they special? Okay. They're special. But, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So, you know, seeing people and they still love things like that. They still have brands and, and, and luxuries that, that they work towards and they splurge on that they make them happy. That's, you know, I mean, we still have life and death, right? So they still have those things, but being able to see the basic level of happiness and the basic level of, of camaraderie and friendship that comes with community and a village or area that's not consumed with like the bachelor or, you know, one thing that when I came back, somebody pissed me off because it was like my first meal back and this person was like, uh, there's too much ice in my water. And I was like, are oh you serious? Oh my goodness. And so, you know, and now that we're talking about all this, it's, it's easy to say like, that's so crazy. And, but in real time, I mean, we just worry about so many different things. And so I reached out to my cousin my cousin Adam, he's a special forces guy, and, and he's just a total badass. But um, anyways, I reached out to him, and I asked him, I said, man, how do you deal with going over there and seeing so much fucked up shit and come back and just, you know, hug your little girl? And he said, man, I'm just thankful that the people I love don't even know that that's a thing. And so I had to really adopt that mindset to be able to live every day without being bitter having seen what I've seen, you know, and it, again, it just goes back to a gratefulness, like gratefulness. You can, if you turn any situation into, wow, I'm thankful for this opportunity to make myself better. You know, there's no reason to be upset anymore. Yeah. And that is, that's something that I've been really trying to hammer home for my personal life, my day to day life. We talked about mornings, you know, I've tried to start every single morning with gratitude because, dude, we have so much to be grateful for, especially after listening to you talk about, you know, being in that situation. And not everyone is going to be able to experience something like that, that is so empowering in a way that, you know, helps you shed your ego, that helps you really put into perspective how lucky we are to live in the United States of America, one, and two, just, you know, to have a roof over our heads, to have air conditioning, to man, live. there's yeah. I don't, not to interrupt you. There's, there's plenty of food shelters in your neighborhood or in your city that you can go to for two hours. It'll give you what that feels like if you haven't done it yet. I mean, I don't do that every weekend. I don't do it nearly as much as, as I think about doing it. I don't, you know, do the whole special Olympics thing here, which I really want to get into. I haven't done that stuff yet. You know, and I convinced myself. Well, I contribute in other ways and I did my, my two years for the world and, but no, I mean, it's so easy and it's so rewarding. The feeling that I feel 
whenever I complete a task of like selflessness is selfishly the best fucking feeling I ever feel. So like you can give me a paycheck for a thousand dollars or, you know, you can let me work with a group of kids for a week that have a physical disability or something. And all day I'll take the feeling and the gratefulness from the kids and stuff that I get after the week of working with them, you know, than than a monetary reward or something like that. But it takes time and it takes us. You have to have a little bit of financial security before you can a lot of times, you know, allow yourself just based on the way that the workforce and the world is before you can can do that. But it doesn't take much to give back to your community with your time. You don't have to get back with money. Get back with time. You feel just as good. Right. And time is almost more valuable. Like yeah. time is time is our most valuable commodity, in my opinion. You know, you never you never know when your last second is. You never know when the last second of a friend or family member is. And that's something that you have to constantly remind yourself of because you have to make the most of the time that we have here. And, um, it's just, it's something that you got to look at from an outside perspective thinking, man, you know, nothing is promised. This, this day is the only thing, this moment, not even this day, this moment is the only promised thing. I've always in high school, I, I've had a, like I've been blessed with the opportunity to work with special needs. That was one of my community service mm-hmm. things. And then in college, we continue as a team to work with the special Olympics in Missouri. And that has always been one of the most fulfilling things for me. And really? I've, as I've transferred over to, you know, working and everything, I kind of let that go to the wayside. So that kind of motivated me just there even to, you know, get back into that and give back because it really is the best feeling you can get Yeah, when you're, when you're unselfish with your time, then it really is extremely rewarding. It's not easy to go and and be in a room of homeless people, uh, you know, and be in a position where it's like awkward because you feel like you you have things that they don't. But you know they're thankful, and the ones that aren't thankful isn't your concern. You're still doing your part. It's like I don't often give money to like the dude on, or the lady or whatever on the side of the road. I used to more, but I had somebody kind of like say some stuff that switched my mind. But the point is, you know, people are like, yeah, that person's just going to go spend that money on drugs. Right. First of all, that's a hell of an assumption. That's a hell of an assumption. Second of all, if I'm doing this to make myself, you know, in part feel better, like if I feel like I'm doing something good, don't just be fear-based about what they're going to do based on something you don't even know about it. If it's going to make you happy to give somebody, and trust me, I'm the most like capitalist, you know, person. I think that when you give people the opportunity to profit, you empower them. And if you, if you, you know, teach them and incentivize them to do that, that it's empowering. Haven't seen the people in East Africa be like cheated out of their income. And now you know, being able to teach them and, and work with them in a way that's like, look, if, if you actually produce a good product, you can actually earn more money for it than if you produce a shitty product. You start seeing people get passionate about what they do. Suddenly, the same farmer that's been farming coffee for 30 years is like, oh, I can add a little extra elbow grease into this and, and I get paid more and I get some discretionary income and I, oh, wow, that's cool. Like, I've never had that before. It's completely empowering to to be able to give people the incentive to, to make money or, or whatever that is. But you know, if, if whatever makes you feel good or whatever is 
rewarding to you when it comes to giving back, whether it's handing someone a $5 bill or standing in line at the food kitchen for two hours or doing monthly donations to your favorite orphanage. That stuff is priceless. Like, that'll make you, even though we're flawed humans and we all have, you know, mostly our bad habits, like, I mean, that helps you lay your head down at night regardless of, of what you've done or what you do. Right, absolutely. And that that really rings true to me in in this concept of control the controllables. Control what you can control. You know, you can control your attitude and your effort and you can control the things that you contribute to. And that's something that you can contribute to. If someone, like you said, isn't grateful for it, then, you know, that is not your issue. Right. You did what you thought you should do. And that's for the betterment of that person, whether or not they appreciate it or not. That's something that you did out of the goodness of your heart. So, yep. and I mean, that can go into whatever, whatever you want, because obviously everything's not going to go our way. Right. There's always going to be speed bumps and there's always going to be things that throw us off or could ruin our day if we allow them to but we could always control what we can control yeah man and don't get caught up in the stuff that you can't because that's just going to take years off your life people think success is a straight line up you know success looks like a stock price it goes up it goes down every single day and you know you make a, a big jump up and then you feel stuck for six months well yeah that's a plateau I mean, what do you think you're supposed to be like going up every single day? Nobody said, nobody said actually that life is easy. Like, Never. We, we, you know, we complain about things when they're hard when we have no reason to expect that they would be easy. Um, so we, we, you know, you do something great and then you plateau and you get bored. It's about being able to keep your shit together until you can jump up again, you know? So you jump up and then you you plateau for a year even, you know, whether it's a training or a part of your career or whatever, you're studying or you had to take an exam. That's a plateau. People lose their shit in those plateaus. Someone said to me, uh, someone said to me, you know, if you let somebody go crazy, they will. And I've seen people lose their job because they're sitting there getting paid, but they're told just, just, I don't know what I want you to do right now. Just sit tight, you know? And people can't, like, not have a purpose. Everyone wants to know exactly what they're going to do next. Well, just embrace that discomfort like we talked about. You know, you can't be getting better. You can't be making huge leaps and bounds every single day. Every day you're getting better and you're getting worse. But what's the big picture? Separate the forest from the trees. And the last thing I want to say, man, because it's been, like, the most powerful thing for me lately that I've read. I read a book, and it's kind of corny sounding but it's called 59 seconds or less and uh it's like very quick things that you can do that will instantly change a perspective so flip things on their head this guy says imagine you're at your own funeral and you're standing up on stage and you're giving your own eulogy what do you want to be said and live your life backwards so what do, what do you want people to say about you when you're gone? And back to Mason, back to your point, like tomorrow's never promised, right? So then it's fucking time right now. Like whatever it is you want to be said when you're living your life backwards or when you're not here anymore and tomorrow's not promised, well, that equation says like get on it, you know, start tomorrow, start tonight, whatever, pick up the phone. So just figure out what it is you want to be said about you and make that happen. 
Right. And we're about to wrap this up, but that really reminded me of something too. It's, it's the concept of the dash. And I don't know if you've heard this. I haven't heard it. No. So, you know, you have dash. I'm 95. You're 1990. 90 baby. Yeah. So I'm 95. You're 90. So our tombstones are going to say 1995, 1990 dash year of death. Yep. That dash is in the middle of us popping out and us being in that grave. What is your dash? What did you do with that dash? What did you do with your life? And that's the whole thing. If you're at your funeral, what are people going to say? It's technically a hyphen. Hyphen. Excuse me. Jonathan's smarter than me. I apologize. <laughs> but man, that, that concept is powerful. If you think about it that way, it really is. Like, what are people going to, what are people going to say when it's all dead? Like when you're dead and gone and I mean, death is imminent for all of us, whether it's like we said tomorrow or whether it's 60 years from now. Um, but what are you going to do with your dash? So I challenge, I personally challenge y'all, whoever's tuning in. Thank you so much for getting this far. We're an hour and 20 minutes in. Um, I've, what are you going to do with your dash? Uh, what is, what is something that you could be doing differently? What is something that has been in your head that you haven't acted on? And what is something that you are passionate about that you have just been sitting on? What's a charity or something that you know, maybe an inconvenience to your day-to-day life, but you will greatly appreciate it. And, and other people appreciate it. Too. Right. Right. Not only will other people appreciate it, but it'll pour into your life by pouring into others. And I think let's go back to the whole thing of just being selfless and how it's very hard, especially in today where everything is, look at me, look at me, get on Instagram. Here's my highlight tape. But that's not when we feel fulfilled. That's not when we feel successful. And ultimately, I think a lot of us are searching for that. You know, in this world of instant gratification, like you said, Jonathan, you're not always going to be going up. The meter's going to go down. It's going to go up. You're going to plateau. But if you have a mindset of, I want to get better every single day, I have a purpose, I'm here for a reason, and I want to help impact people's lives in a positive way then, you know, you're going to be able to hop out of bed. So last thing I'm going to ask you, and then we're going to let you go. It's getting a little late. What, if you could leave our audience with one thing, what would you leave them with? Like one thought, one habit, one ritual, whether that's morning, whether that's night, whether that's a challenge or a goal, what are you, what's one thought that you want them to leave? slow down like just enjoy it you know the juice is in the squeeze um if you focus on the end goal you're never going to be happy because for me like i'm so add i've said that before but i'm so add all and i'm so harsh on myself and i'm so ambitious like the combination of those things i put a goal in front of myself if i get to it i'm on to the next one before i stop and, and realize what i've accomplished so, you know, if you're lucky and you're average in the sense of your age, life will be long and give yourself time in between, you know, hard work to actually slow down and, and stop and smell the roses and, and look around you and be grateful for what you have. Because if you don't take the time in between that, then all this hard work towards money and, and realizing your purpose and shit isn't even worth anything. That's profound. So take that and use it. 
where can where can we find you? Where can we find you on social media? If someone was inspired, they want to give you your page a follow. You got some Man, good stuff on it's, Twitter. It's hard because I, I'm a big fan of the mystery. I'm I love I, I love the thought of being <laughs> yeah, the mystery, it man. Is, you know, it is kind but of yeah, being mysterious is the way to go. But but sometimes you know you you can learn from other people's mistakes, and I've made enough to where I'm happy to share them. So if you want to hit me up on IG, if you want to slide in my DMs uh, at JB Kingaling. Um, that's very professional. I know it's got a ring. Yeah, it's got a ring. A ling <laughs> at uh, John B King on on Twitter, and uh, yeah, my name's Jonathan King. I I'll put my other stuff out there for Mason and and anybody. Honestly, you know, I'm I'm welcoming new peers and feedback always. So accountability is good. Feel free. Absolutely, and I've I've said this before, and I'll say it again. If anybody wants accountability partners, it's people like Jonathan, Jason, like people that are around me in my life other people that i'll have on the show that are able to pour into your life and help you be successful and that's you you have to just like we talked about social media you have to weed out the things that aren't giving you where like they aren't helping you where you want to go they aren't pouring in your life in a positive way so man thank you jonathan for being one of those guys thanks for having and, me and man it's ign